Go Birds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. And we want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. We're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kissed and Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. Fly, Eagles, fly, and welcome to the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 44, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work at InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and... NDT scouting, which is in a transition phase, but we won't talk about that because there's going to be some news dropping, hopefully in the future, about Ben's future in writing. All good stuff. Ben hasn't told me anything. All, I don't know what I'm allowed to tell <laughs> you, man, which, like, if, if, if there's anything I can say to let you know that Gusev is coming down the mountain, it's that I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, when, when, there's, when there's gag rules and, like, little hush markers on certain stuff, that's how you know positive stuff's coming down the mountain. Technically still have NDT scouting, but, like, things are obviously changing. Uh, also... The more egregious error was it's eight years without a bad day. You can tell we haven't done this for a hot second. You can tell oh. we're in the off season because Mike was a little shaky on the intro, but it's okay. It was a little, <laughs> little rough landing, but the rest of the episode is going to be a classic smooth sailing of the Kist and Solak show. Yeah, I've had a rough day on Twitter since I announced that I was not a fan of The Office and think there are several shows that are, are much better. So people have been attacking me online. That's right. That's all right. All the haters and losers can can come after me and, and the and the humor pours. Uh, can come after me for that take, including Ben, who uh, said that we are no longer friends, unfortunately. But that is not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about 
Uh, the Eye of the Enemy series, which we've been uh, doing for a while through this offseason. Been a fun ride doing it. For Eye on the Enemy, we've covered a lot of teams in the NFC. We started with the NFC East. We did the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins. Then we pivoted to the other NFC top contenders. So the Rams, Vikings, Saints, and the last one, episode 43, was featuring the Atlanta Falcons. So you can go back and listen to all those episodes. Uh, they're evergreen content until the season starts. So go check that out. Outside of that, Ben, there's a good chance that there's going to be another team, not unlike the Eagles last year, that is going to take a big leap forward from where they were in the previous year and make a run at things. So when you think about the teams that we did and also the teams that we left out, is there a team that you feel like maybe we should have done a team that should be considered a contender because there's one for me, and I think it's the same for you, and it's the Green Bay Packers, and it being a quarterback-driven league where pass is king, and if you have an elite quarterback, one as handsome as Aaron Rodgers is, then I believe that you always have a shot in a rising tides, lifts all boats type situation. So mm. uh, one, one of our gentle listeners, and I wish I had his name on me right now, my apologies for that gentle listener, actually requested that we do the Packers. And I'll get to the secondary, uh, secondary topic that I replied to him with. Uh, we'll get to that once we figure this all out. But Ben, Green Bay Packers, did we do them dirty by not including them on the Eye on the Enemy series? Because as you know, we are very smart. Very important people with a lot yes, of influence and, and probably a crystal ball, to be honest, mm-hmm. if we're being honest with everyone. I, I think we may have done that a little bit dirty. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'll put it to you this way. We we covered the NFC East, obviously, because that's the division. But, you know, mm-hmm. the NFC East, obviously, there has not been a repeat winner since 2004. However, I think that you can say pretty comfortably uh, that the Eagles should be heavy favorites to repeat. And I don't think there should be any other team in, in the division that's really – uh, in consideration for making the playoffs, I think you'll hear you'll you'll hear about Dallas and the national media because they've got big enough names for it. But that team isn't there, and that coaching staff isn't there. I just don't think they are. Uh, right. And so maybe you know maybe they're pushing eight and eight, which would be a very Jason Garrett Dallas Cowboys thing. But I don't think they're a playoff team in this NFC. So the the other four teams we've talked of outside of the Eagles, you know, I think you can lock all those guys in the playoffs. I think it's going to take some serious injuries. For the Saints, the Rams, the Vikings, or the Falcons to not make the playoffs. So five of the six teams in the NFC, I think, are very clearly playoff teams. Obviously, you have to watch out for injury. That's going to throw a monkey wrench in things. But we've got a sixth spot. And if I had to give it to a team right now, a gun to my head, the Green Bay Packers are the team that comes to mind. Simply because of the rest of the field, they, as you said, are clearly superior in the quarterbacking department. Now, what is interesting about the Packers is that they, for the past 10 years, that's a random number, I don't know, for a long time, (laughs) The same general manager, you know, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, you know, they, they weren't moving guys around. This was a very steady, consistent front office and coaching staff. We've just seen the first shift as far as what they're planning on doing. Joe Philbin, who used to be a coach of Miami Dolphins, now back as offensive coordinator in Green Bay. When he was here in Green Bay earlier in the 2010s, that, their offense was humming under Philbin. He was good for them. And now Mike Pettin, who's always been a good defensive guy, again, ex-head coach of the Cleveland Browns, is there in the defense. They're going to be incorporating more 3-4 style of looks. Obviously, it's it's not a, a two-gapping scheme. It's not a true zero-tech, four-tech, or whatever. He's going to be moving guys down the line. You're going to see four guys on the line of scrimmage a lot. But it's it, it's from the 3-4 background, so there's different ideas incorporated into it. And Penn's always been able to put good defenses out in the field. So we've got three guys with head coaching experience 
in the coaching room. And then on top of that, you have Ted Thompson, longtime general manager of the Packers, who's now out of the building and replacing him is the very handsome, very in unpronounceable last name, Brian Gutkunst. Uh, yeah, Gutekunst. Something like that. Some, something that sounds like you heard it in Man of the High Castle. It sounds way too <laughs> German and highly questionable, but whatever. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with a tectonic plate shift, right? With this, this is kind of unprecedented for the Aaron Rodgers era of Green Bay. And obviously only one Super Bowl championship with Aaron Rodgers is a little bit of, of a, to me, a black mark on Mike McCarthy, the head coach uh, for the Packers. That's, that, that's hard to excuse right there. Yeah. So what we're looking at here on the offensive side of the ball obviously you know Jordy Nelson a staple who's gone now it's the Devontae Adams show probably you know obviously Randall Cobb is still going to be a part of that they're not really deep at wide receiver it's the tight end that interests me with Jimmy Graham coming in let's not forget Mm -hmm. Jimmy Graham was it was Zach Ertz and Jimmy Graham were the top two red zone targets last year, period. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going 10, 10 red zone touchdowns for Graham. And now we got Aaron Rodgers, who what makes Aaron special as a quarterback statistically is his ability in the red zone and within two minutes. Like, that's what is really unique about him is that in the clutchest times, he's unquestionably the best, right? So so you, you've got really interesting lineup to me as far as uh, the, the way that offense has been retooled. Hopefully the offensive line stays a little bit more healthy. They didn't really invest in it the way I expected them to. The defensive side is what should be really, really fun. Because if this defense can take a couple steps forward under Pettin, they've invested a lot of capital into it in the past couple years. they got a lot more speed on there now. The corners, they double-dipped this year. They went Kevin King last year. They're really trying to shore up these positions. If the defense steps forward with Pettin, you can mm. assume that Rodgers and Philbin, you know, with, with Adams, who's been growing, and with Jimmy Graham... Uh, obviously they've got Aaron Jones and, and Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery. They've got some good pieces. He should be able to keep the offense afloat enough because he's a stellar talent to the point at which if this defense steps forward, then yeah, I think that they're the, the pick for the sixth. However, are they a big threat to the Eagles? I mean, in a one-off with Aaron Rodgers, you're always worried, obviously, but I think across like a 16-game season, yeah. I don't see them you know, consistently delivering the performance that this Eagles team is going to. So that's my thoughts on the Packers. They are my sixth team, but I do view them a notch lower in that second tier. So I've got a bone to pick with you on something that you said there, and we'll narrow the focus here to the uh, question that I had alluded to, the secondary topic. So Aaron Rodgers, in his last 16 games, Threw for 40 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. That's wild. That's wild. Mm-hmm. So when healthy, uh, because he had the, the issue last year that put him out for the season, how does he stack up to Brady? Because for their careers, Rodgers has a better completion percentage, a better touchdown interception ratio, a better touchdown percentage, which is just bonkers at 6.4%. That's like all time elite of the elite. Yeah. He's got a lower interception percentage. He's got Brady on yards per attempt, but Brady is likely going to end up with more fourth quarter comebacks, game winning drives, and of course, Super Bowls, and he has a better winning, uh, winning percentage. So it's basically like this. Rodgers does all quarterbacking things at the elite of the elite level, but Brady has the ultimate QB wins argument working in his favor. Ben, are you willing to say here and now on this show that QB wins are overblown and that Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. You you pick, you know, 50 throws of Aaron Rodgers, you pick 50 throws of Tom Brady, you're going to see unbelievable talent on both. I think that Rodgers and Brady, 
nicely typify a conversation that we talk about a lot in our heyday season in like March and April, talking about evaluating quarterbacks because Rodgers is the more traditional quarterback talent. There's no question. Rodgers has a better arm. Rodgers has an mm. unbelievable arm. And and when they're throwing from clean platforms, nice, you know, comfy pockets, Rodgers has a better arm. If you put dirt around them, if you put pressure at their feet, if you move them outside of the pocket, if they're freelancing, Rodgers has far and above the better arm. And he makes yeah. unbelievable highlight throws that Brady doesn't make, right? Brady makes highlight throws, but the throws Rodgers makes are sublime. And Rodgers has the mobile ability to get right. to those throws, yeah. Yeah. And so if you take the the regular measuring stick of your average NFL fan – as far as what makes a good quarterback, and you just give them Rodgers' plays in a vacuum, you know, no contacts, no team, no Super Bowls, and Brady's plays in a vacuum, most likely I think they're going to view Rodgers as the more talented quarterback. That's my opinion. Now, alluding to the draft idea, what were, you know, why why does Brady, a sixth-round pick, become as successful as he does? Well, because, you know, I'm not evaluating quarterbacks in 1999 or whatever the heck it was that Brady got drafted. (laughs) Yeah. But... I'm imagining that some of the issues that we see in 2018 with evaluating quarterbacks obviously persisted, you know, back before the turn of the century, which was that things that Brady does in terms of viewing the defense pre and post snap, thing that Brady does in terms of decision making and risk management, things that Brady does in terms of staying in front of the sticks, taking what the defense gives him, obviously being married with with Belichick with, with uh, a high uh, in, uh, incidence of man beaters and an understanding of, of zone coverage and that Earhart Perkins system, which is very slice and dice, that that works with his skill set. But what we're starting to see is that you know when you're looking for quarterbacks to to target maybe after round one where the physical tools aren't incredibly strong, that's where you start seeing guys like. Jimmy Garoppolo, like Kyle Lauletta, you know, these players of whom I like AJ McCarron is one who AJ McCarron's not even that good, right? But what <laughs> makes AJ McCarron a guy that, that, that teams have been excited about, teams have been in trade talks with? AJ McCarron can be accurate to the short and intermediate, can keep teams ahead of the sticks. He's got a lot of experience. He knows what he's doing. He manages risk, I think, decently well. He's not great. He throws interceptions. Again, I'm not saying AJ McCarron is good, but this Brady mold of quarterback is challenging and I think evolving our ways of saying what makes a quarterback good because mm. Brady is like I said is not gonna have the highlight plays that Roger does and Rogers is probably more talented if you make all things even but if there's any evidence to the fact that this sort of quarterback who does not have elite arm talent who does not have elite playmaking ability can be an incredibly winning historically winning quarterback it's Tom Brady yeah. right yeah. Like he's the the proof's in the pudding there and so while yeah, like I think you put a gun to my head, Rodgers is more talented than Brady. It's very clear that you can win at unbelievable levels with quarterbacks in Brady's mold. And as a result, we have to look back at our evaluation processes and say, okay, well, what really constitutes talent for quarterbacks and what's valuable for us and our quarterbacks? Because of course, you're going to try to hit that Brady mold. We've seen it work for the past 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I think about it, as you were, as you were talking there, I was thinking, man, what would Aaron Rodgers look like with Bill Belichick? For all of those years, what would the drop off be? What, what 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 would it what would it be better? I I, I don't know if they it would, you could kind of go either way with it with right. with their success. So uh, that's something that you have to think about too. I I don't know how much you know Green Bay film the offensive film that you've gone through necessarily, but I remember like last year I went through a good bit of Green Bay offense, and I I just remember watching the same six plays on third downs, and I could yeah. not like suss out the relationship between third and distance and what the play call was. And it was unbelievable. The, the, the play calling in Green Bay to me was terribly uninspired. It was, uh, it was, uh, there was a lack of creativity. And to me, it kind of said, 
Well, we've got number 12, so let's just run one of the plays that he's familiar with, and he'll make this happen. And yeah. it's putting like Rodgers in unbelievably, unnecessarily difficult situations, whereas, you know, a, a play caller like Belichick is typically 12 steps ahead, you know, and he's yeah. and obviously they're re- repeating concepts and they've got their familiarities, but they know what they're doing based off of defense alignment, based off their unique opponent, what have you. So I, you know, I, I said that I think one Super Bowl with a talent like Rodgers is a bit of an indictment, a black mark on McCarthy, and I stand by that. I've never been impressed with McCarthy's creativity as a play caller. I know he he moved on from calling plays last season. Uh, he surrendered that, and then I think he brought it back. He took it back later in the season. It wasn't good. He was trying to make a change. I don't know what the situation is with Philbin, but it'd be nice to see Rodgers be paired with a coordinator who, you know, is a little more willing to make his job easier. Yeah, and you mentioned man beaters before, and that was something because I didn't watch them a whole lot last year, but I watched them a couple years before that, and there was just like a lack of man beating concepts in their route combinations intersecting route combinations were completely lacking it was just kind of one-on-one it was it was weird man it was a very frustrating watch and like you said it was just like well Mm -hmm. we got 12 so uh we can always make something work with that with his ability to scramble so on and so forth so i mean it's a good discussion you know that i hate ranking quarterbacks I, i think no one is complaining if you have a draft a redraft in the nfl and one team gets tom brady the other team gets aaron Rodgers. i don't think anyone cares whatsoever you know so it's totally fine there. So okay, we'll move on to some of uh, some of the other teams that we may have slighted in our eye of the enemy series. I mean, how can you leave off the Seattle Seahawks with uh, the amount of success that they've had? I'll tell you how you can leave out the Seattle Seahawks. Look at their offensive line. <laughs> That's how you leave off the Seattle Seahawks. That wasn't difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. Their offensive line, uh, the talent that they're going to have to be moving on from. We don't know the Earl Earl Thomas situation. Richard Sherman is no longer no longer with the team. He had the Achilles injury last year. Michael Bennett is gone. Like this team has been just sapped of talent. And around draft time, we were very critical of them for taking uh, Richard Penny in the first round from San Diego State, the running back, because they were building the run game. The reverse of how it's done. You build the offensive line first, which they desperately needed. They could have upgraded four spots and they picked a running back, which was weird. So I don't see that team improving very much. I think they're building the running game the wrong way to support Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is that entire team. Like over ninety percent of of their touchdowns last year is, is ridiculous. I think he led them. I'm not sure, but I think he led them in rushing too because they they had a carousel. He back was there. somewhere around ninety three or ninety four percent of the offenses just scores, mm-hmm. which. Someone should be shot. Someone should be taken they, outside and shot for that. They could have on. They could have held on to Alex Collins, the running back for the Baltimore Ravens, and they wouldn't have had to draft a running back. Alex Collins. I just did his full evaluation on him. Watched five games of him last year and was very, very impressed. It's a solid. But starter. JD McKissick, Mike, come on! Oh my God, JD. They've got two wide receivers playing running back. Okay, can we talk about this, actually? Yeah, J.D. McKissick yeah, and C.J. Procise are both wide receivers, and they both play running back, and it makes no sense. The end. Okay. Yeah, C.J. Procise was a, a wide receiver at Notre at Dame. Notre Dame! Yeah, exactly. And he played a little bit of running back too, but still, like, that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well. I don't, I don't know what they're doing with the running backs. All the running backs people want to fall in love with just because there's, they've been so bad and the next running back up is like 
you know, it's almost like a backup quarterback. When your quarterback's playing bad, the most popular person on that team is the backup quarterback. And that is the situation with the Seattle Seahawks and their running backs. It seems like, uh, since Marshawn Lynch left town, no, not seems like it is. Uh, every Seahawks running back is the next best thing and they never are. I don't expect it to work. Even though Tom Cable's out of the building, I don't care. That offensive line is atrocious and they're losing pieces like crazy. So we're not going to mm-hmm. waste too much time on the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, hopes. Some people, and, and I live in Florida in the Tampa, Tampa area, and dude, this whole thing, and this involves the Eagles too, because Ronald Darby is involved with it. Yeah, so, yeah. Jameis Winston, I'll just, I'll just put it out there. Jameis Winston is a grown child. I was concerned about it when he came out. My friends told me things like, oh, let that man live, and he's just a kid doing stupid stuff. And uh, well, he ain't a kid anymore. And for whatever image rehabilitation that he profited from during the hard knocks run was completely wiped away in my mind. Uh, number one, by the idiotic poke to the back of the head of uh, Marshawn Lattimore, which was just dumb. And, and mm-hmm. then the arrestable offense of eating a W in the most non-inspirational speech I think I've ever seen in my life from a quarterback. And now it has come down that they're expecting him to be suspended for three games where the Bucks play a murderer's row. They're the Saints, Eagles, and the Steelers for this whole Uber incident, which was alleged uh, sexual assault, uh, that, that wasn't reported to the NFL correctly. And, and that's how the NFL is framing this, by the way. There's something in the CBA. That says that teams and players are responsible for reporting any incident that could lead to a suspension to the league. The Bucks did not. Jameis did not. And now at mm. the time this incident happened, it was a little bit different. The wording was a little bit different. It was only required that the team report it to the NFL. But there is wording that says that the team is also responsible for ensuring that their players knew to report any incident of that nature to them so they could then report it to the NFL. So that's the basis on which that they're suspending Jameis. And now it has come out. Pro Football Talk just released this uh, right before we were about to record because we've always known that in the Uber, it was Ronald Darby and there was a third nameless man. Well, that man is no longer nameless. It was a former uh, Vanderbilt football player. Uh, let's see here. Brandon Banks, I think it is. Let's see why, here. Let me make Vanderbilt? sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know like why they SEC, ACC. Like, it's not like they like interact. I don't know. But Brandon Banks, who, by the way, had, was charged with rape before the alleged Uber incident and then went to trial after the alleged Uber incident and was okay. charged 15 years for rape, is the third person in the car and has said that Jameis was alone in the car with That's that driver. Good. Yeah. So that means that Darby could be lying. I'm not saying that he is. This is all hearsay and whatnot. But that means because he said that him, Darby and Jameis had taken an Uber earlier in the evening. But then when that incident occurred, that it was just Jameis in the car. So that's what's going on there. And that's going to be very interesting to follow because that just throws a monkey wrench and everything. So he's suspended for for three games. He can appeal. um, But my God, man, like, that Bucks team has – I don't think Dirk Cutter is the leader. I don't think Dirk Cutter can lead men. I don't think he has control of that locker room. I never and I don't think the Dirk Cutter higher from the jump. And I, I don't think Jameis – Jameis is about as mature as a caterpillar. 
and not even like in the cocoon phase. Like he's just he's nowhere near where he needs to be, in my opinion, uh, as a human being and, and dealing with responsibility and accountability and things like that. And that's the guy that you want to lead your franchise. And you were telling me before the show that Tre- Trevor Sikama of Pewter Report, uh, who I just heard on the radio talking about it this uh, the, a couple of mornings ago, was saying that Jameis's future with the Bucks is like in serious jeopardy. So this thing has just gone crazy and I, I know it's the eye on the enemy's uh, series segment but uh the bucks are the dar- we're, we're like the darling in vogue pick last year as a team that might like come right, out right. of nowhere they just haven't they've never fulfilled that and you look around at the team and you look at Dirk cutter and you're like well yeah i mean for obvious reasons so number one tampa already has the 30 uh, the second most difficult schedule in the nfl per sharp mm. football okay they have, uh, I believe they have three games and then a week four bye, if memory serves. And those three games are, or no, 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 it's not three games and a bye, but their week three games are the Saints, the Eagles, and the Steelers, which is the most difficult <laughs> opening three-week slate in the history of tracking strength of schedule by terms of just win-loss in the previous season. So not yeah. necessarily by sharp football, which is a great way, you know, Vegas spreads, whatever. Just mm-hmm. by, you know, the, the Saints were like 11 and f- five or something you know the, the Steelers were 13 and three the Eagles were 13 and three and that's just the most difficult win loss from the last season that the, a team has ever seen in the opening three weeks James <laughs> is suspended for those three weeks so bye bye playoffs right <laughs> yeah and it's not their schedule does not get easier afterward it stays incredibly difficult they're in a very loaded NFC uh south yeah it's NFC south that's incredibly difficult that's number one number two James if, if what we're if we're to believe what the Vanderbilt player, this third player, is saying, Jameis essentially either lied about being in the car alone or just admitted the fact that he was ever in the car. You know what I mean? Like either mm. way, it's a live omission at the smallest. So that's a huge issue. And number three, and I think this is the biggest takeaway, Mike. I had Mariota over Wayne State in the 2015 draft, <laughs> so and <do> <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, yep. This is incredibly, incredibly frustrating when you supposedly have a franchise building block and he seemingly just can't get get out of his own way. And obviously, Mm. we're talking about something that I believe 2016 was the first time this surfaced. And so it's not as if, you know, it's frustrating because uh, for the Buccaneers, you can't put this away. You haven't been able to put this to bed, not even in like a a negative sweep under the rug sort of way where they're not treating a potential, you know, criminal charge with, with the correct you know, a gravity to it, but they just simply haven't been able to move on as a franchise because this has toiled for now over two years. And so you do wonder, you know, how long uh, Cotter is for his position. Now they've got obviously that GM, uh, Jason Light, Jason Licht, I think it is, the the ex-Patriots yeah, guy. Light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason mm-hmm. Licht, Jason Licht. And well, it's, I, think it's, I think it's spelled Licht, uh, but that just sounds gross oh, now no, that you're I right. say it out loud. You're right. It's light right here. Producers just oh. pulled up the Wikipedia page. Thank you, producers. <laughs> so they got light, who, from what I understand, is a pretty well liked guy there, and they've liked some of the moves that he's made. But let's let's again, like you know, uh, Mike Evans' first round pick, his first first round pick, I believe, was was Mike Evans. Obviously, Mike Evans is panning out pretty well. Next one was Vernon Hargraves. Vernon Hargraves ain't panning out too well, Mike. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that that is not a very strong roster. They've not been able to. Uh, attract you know really solid free agents uh, how long is he for that spot and if you're cleaning house new co- new co- new coach new gm and things with Jameis are unsteady all of a sudden you could be in a very competitive division looking to blow up and rebuild yeah. and you just drafted a quarterback in 2015 i yeah. that's a very like that 
that's in- insanely difficult. The Bucks. I mean, how how do you you waste all those years and you you draft a kicker of the future and you think your franchise is set mm-hmm. as a whole? You trade up for a kicker in the second round. You think that's taken care of. Third phase of the game, arguably the most important phase of the game, the kicking game. No, nah, I'm I'm going nowhere with this. But no, nah, it's 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 yeah. That organization, I feel like very very soon is going to be blown up entirely. And where right. Jameis's career trajectory goes from there, I have no clue. Let's talk about the fact that Tampa, you know, Gruden leaves Tampa in 08. Spoiler alert, he comes back to the Raiders in 2018, which is whatever. But Gruden, <laughs> Super Bowl champion, you know, with with the, with the, uh, with the Buccaneers. I feel like that was in 02 or 03, so that was right in the beginning of Gruden's tenure. That was pretty was much okay. Tony Dungy. That was, Dungy. that was Dungy's team, right? It was against the Raiders right. in 02, that's right. It was against Dungy's team. It was pretty much Dungy's team, is what I'm saying. And then Gruden's there for six seasons. And let's call Gruden a good coach. Let's let's do that for fun, okay? They go to Raheem <laughs> Morris. They go to Greg Schiano. They go to Lovey Smith. Like, post-Chicago, really bad Lovey Smith. Not, like, kind of good Lovey Smith in the early 2000s. They go to Lovey Smith in 2014, okay? And then it's Dirk Cutter. They have not had a good head coach in that building for a decade. If we're calling Gruden a head coach. A good head coach. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Tampa has not been in a good spot for a while now. And I don't know how you could possibly sign Ryan Fitzpatrick as a backup and not expect something bad to happen to your starting quarterback. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a backup everywhere, and he always inevitably ends up starting somehow. It's the Ryan Fitzpatrick curse. It's going to (laughs) happen. Never sign him as your backup. You're basically committing your starting quarterback (laughs) to getting injured or somehow suspended or something because that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. I think Rich Eisen put it out there that with the suspension, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick leads all backup quarterbacks and starts with a million. Uh, so that's yeah, definitely true. <laughs> so, okay. So a couple other teams I want to touch on real quick before we run mm-hmm. out of time here. Uh, the Detroit Lions are very interesting to me, have been a very, very pass heavy team, like extremely pass heavy. I, I'm not, I can't, I can't sell that enough. Uh, but, they also, and I really liked the way that they drafted, they get Frank Ragnow, the bully center from Arkansas, who both you and I love, and you have like a, had a, like a total love affair mm-hmm. with him uh, during the draft process. And then they add Kerryon Johnson to that mix. So, so they, they get their lineman, and then they get their running back, Cough Cough Seattle, what are you doing? Um, but they also have weapons, and Stafford, for me, man, is a darn good quarterback. And and I think this team, if they can get the necessary pass rush, and and you know Darius Slay is a very underrated player in the in the secondary there at corners. It's a big season for Ziggy Anza. Um, they might need some help on the interior for that for the defense there, depending on how Ashawn Robinson plays and whatnot. Oh, come but on. I think you don't I think believe the- in Ashawn Robinson. Asian Robinson is garbage. Sorry, continue. he's a yeah, he's a one down player and an <laughs> adequate one at that. So there's that. Um, but I, I really do think that with a good year put together by Stafford and uh, an improved running game, which I think will be very very much so improved, they can make some strides. Uh, how consistent that team can be, I'm not sure because they they seem to be uh, up and down for me. Uh, the other team, uh, we could just talk about these two together, the Chicago Bears. And we talked about uh, why we didn't do them was because people feel like they're kind of on the cusp of something right now. I feel like they're still another year away, 
but I really, really like what they're doing. And I like the philosophical shift because when you sign a coach, you're going to, you're going to get a coach that is the exact opposite philosophically of the coach before that most of the time, especially if that coach has not been good, which John Fox was not good. Uh, <gasps> this coach, Matt Nagy, I know, breaking news. Uh, Matt Nagy is more in tune with the, uh, 2018 passing game, even just in the 21st century, which John Fox was not. Uh, and he's going to help that offense. They drafted weapons for Trubisky because that was a big issue for them in the last couple of years as well. I think that is a team on the rise. I still think they have a little bit to go, but I, I do see them as an ascending team. And the, and the other ascending team is the San Francisco 49ers. They have pieces that they don't have nearly enough pieces in my mind to be a legit contender yet, but a fantastic season from Jimmy Garoppolo and having Kyle Shanahan there it definitely does not help because they went on a little bit of a tear there uh, at the end of the 2017 season. Right. So it's not like they can't compete. So this is my – I'll play you on devil's advocate for all three. We'll start with the Lions. Lions have the seventh hardest schedule in the NFL. Lions have to do – pretty much like they've got the AFC East, the, the, the NFC North does. So they can you know win against the Jets and the, the Dolphins and have a great time. Um, but besides that, you know they're dealing with the the – obviously the rest of – the NFC North, which is an incredibly difficult division. And if we're talking about the Lions as a potentially playoff team, they've got to go, in my opinion, at least four and two against their division, like maybe three and three. And then you've yeah. got to be able to beat the Cowboys. I think in Dallas, you've got to be able to beat the Panthers, which is still a good football team. And, and we're talking, we're talking about a dome team who's got to travel to Green Bay late in the season. They've got to travel to, to Buffalo late in the season. They've got to travel to Chicago in November, right? For Detroit, the 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 name of the game is: Are they going to be able to beat, you know, go one and one with Green Bay, one and one with Minnesota, and then beat Chicago twice? Like that's what. Right. If I'm looking at the schedule, that's what they need to do. If they they need to be competitive in the NFC, they've got to be able to win those games, uh, because then they've got a killer schedule for the remainder of the season. So divisional games will be huge for them. I don't imagine them winning the division over Minnesota. That would be something. But yeah. I, uh, you know, you're going to need to get those in conference wins if you're going to be fighting for a. a an NFC wildcard seed. So that's my biggest concern with them, that their schedule is an absolute bear. When I go to Chicago, I like everything and I love everything. My one big concern is just everything is new. It's yeah. a new head. The, the defensive coordinator is the same and some key pieces on defense are the same. And that's literally it. Like beyond that, it's it's second year quarterback. It's all new wide receivers and tight ends for the second year quarterback. It's new offensive coordinator, new head coach, new offensive philosophy, and it's gonna be great. And it's gonna be Oregon spread in 2014 with Helfrick, and it's gonna be Matt Nagy with with triple option stuff from Kansas City, and it's gonna be so much fun. And we're gonna have a blast. But it takes time, and there's less practice time every single offseason. We know that it's mm. been cutting back, and it just makes it difficult to get a full install done. I think the Bears are never gonna be a, an easy out. And remember, they weren't an easy out in in most games in 2017 because they had a decent they roster. They weren't, and they had some surprise wins. They were in some games that they should not have been in. <laughs> I remember when we were previewing the Bears game, which obviously the Eagles ended up smacking them around, which was surprising. <laughs> in Philadelphia, I believe that game was. We were talking about, listen, the Bears like haven't lost a game yet this season by more than four or something. They've been within striking distance so many games. And so, yeah, we're at a point where, you know, obviously a year forward for Trubisky is going to help him in those late game situations. Obviously, uh, uh, Vic Fangio being there for another year and they've been able to invest a little bit more in that defense. That's going to be great. But to me, there's too much newness there to feel comfortable in this team against, you know, the heavy hitters in the NFC. And then finally, San Francisco. That's the team that I believe in the most 
of the three that we mentioned. San Francisco, unlike the the NFC North teams, does have a very easy schedule coming up. I believe it's one of the top 10 easiest in the league. Uh, you've got Garoppolo and... Uh, and Shanahan now, who've been together for this will be two seasons. First off season, obviously, but two seasons now. So they have a groundwork that they were able to lay last year. We saw Garoppolo obviously be wildly successful. There's probably going to be a little bit of a regression, but he's clearly very confident, very capable in that system. What, what what was key for Garoppolo is even if he's going to regress, there's very concrete evidence that he can exist outside of Brady, outside of Belichick, in a different world, right? And he. That needed to be proved to everybody, but first and foremost, it needed to be proved to him. And so Garoppolo is now, I think, officially shed of the New England product. He was traded. He was, you know, Brady's heir apparent. He is now his quarterback in San Francisco, and that's huge for him. That's going to be huge for his development. I have more trust in Kyle Shanahan than I do of most people in the NFL, simply in in terms of both development and in terms of being able to, uh, uh, you know, call an offense, you know, run a team in that way. And now I expect this defense to take step forwards. I think that... San Fran is very worried. A lot of their fans, a lot of their teammates are very are very worried about the pass rush, but I see Eric Armstead. I see DeForest Buckner. I see Solomon Thomas. I see fourth-rounder Contavious Street. Honestly, I think that that's fine. I think you're going to be able to get a lot of rush from those guys. Ruben Foster for a full season. Akella Weatherspoon with his second year under his belt. Richard Sherman in free agency. I think they added a lot of talent on that defensive side. It's a young defense. I think is going to get better. I expect San Francisco to be the toughest team out of those three. San Fran you know, can be an issue. In the NFC West, I think they can. I don't have them making it, you know, as far as like a, a team in the playoffs, simply because the NFC is loaded. But I think that's a very strong team. They, to me, are a step above the Lions, and they're a step above uh, the Chicago Bears as well. Very interesting. Very interesting, Ben. This has been a blast doing this Eye on the Enemy series. Maybe we'll have to argue about the uh, the AFC at some point in the future because the content wars never stop and it's still all garbage except for the Patriots and maybe the Steelers a little bit. And the Steelers are never going to get past the Patriots. You just have that feeling. I don't I don't know, man. Maybe I think I honestly think that's why when, whenever Ben talks about Ortiz is retiring, it's because Tom Brady is still in the league. Like that's legitimately <laughs> what I feel. <laughs> so maybe we'll talk about that at a later date. But uh, Ben, it's it's been a blast doing this series, talking about these top contenders, who we left out and why, all that good stuff. It's it's been fun, been a really good idea. I appreciate the I appreciate the insight that that mm-hmm. you've given me on all these teams, and I hope the gentle listeners have appreciated it as well. So Ben. Uh, that's going to do it for this show today here on the Kisten and Solak Show. You want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Howdy, gentle listeners. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kisten Solak Show, presented to you by the fine gentlemen of BGN Radio. We are officially one month away from training camp. Woo! Okay, so this is this is the final, you know, 30-day blast, what have you, of just, we got to get through it. BGN Radio is going to be with you every step of the way. There's so many mailbags already. There's just going to be more mailbags because at this point, it's just giving you the content that you want. You are driving the reins. So we've received feedback from you guys as far as, oh, talk about Eagle scheme, offensive and defensive. Talk about uh, a lot of schematic stuff, X's and O's, stuff to look for throughout the season. And that's awesome. We're totally down for doing that. Anything that you guys want to see from us, please reach out to us and let us know. It is our first off season here with BGN Radio with a ton of you new gentle listeners. And so we just like to hear from you what you'd want from Kisten Solak. We just want to make it through this final month with you, this sad month of the NBA offseason and, and the NHL offseason and the NFL offseason and baseball's going on, but I don't care about baseball. Sorry for that burst your bubble. I don't think baseball is very fun to watch. Whatever. So, one month left till training camp. Let us know what you expect from us. We and the rest of the BGN radio crew will, of course, be with you here producing podcasts every step of the way. We all we got, we all we need. 
fly equals fly. I almost forgot what I was going to say there, Ben. <laughs> Mike, you saved it. I didn't even notice. I'm proud of you, man. Consummate professional. Consummate <laughs> professional.